Good morning. Welcome each one of you to our service this morning, whether you are a part of this church or thinking of becoming a part of this church or whether you're a visitor. Welcome to each one of you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I'm going to begin with a series of questions. Again, just to get your minds thinking down the path I would like them to go. How important is church to you? Just think about that. How important is church to you? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being I could do without it, no problem, 10 being I really need it, where would it fall on that scale of 1 to 10? How important is it to you? Just think about that a little. So should the church come before family, your immediate family, where should church fall? Should church come before your occupation? Should it come before your hobbies? Where does it fall in relation to your personal preferences? Which, you have to make a choice, your personal preference or church, which one is Trump? Which one has priority? Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. I'll stop reading there. This is a picture of the unity or the closeness or the community that is intended to exist in the church. I'll read it again. If there be therefore any comfort of love... I'm sorry, if there be any, therefore any consolation of Christ, in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul gives two lists of four things here in these verses. Four in verse one and four in verse two. There is therefore any consolation in Christ. What that means is if you have any desire to encourage or support someone with Christ as the source of that. Number two, if any comfort of love, or if you have any comfort coming from a heart of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, or if you are sharing a walk with the Holy Spirit, any bowels and mercies, or if your hearts are tender and compassionate. If you have these things, he says, you will fulfill my joy or you'll make my joy complete by, now the other list of four, being like-minded, having the same love, being one of one accord, of one mind. And now you look at those and say, why didn't he just say, you'll think, you'll, you'll, they kind of say the same thing. Four things, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. At face value, they look like they say the same thing. The amplified version breaks it down a little bit more. It says, you will live in harmony, be of the same mind and one purpose. You'll have the same love. You'll be, you'll be of one mind and intention. 
This is a picture of a healthy, unified church, a local body of believers. When I say church this morning, that's what I'm referring to is a local body of believers. The unity and the love and the singleness of purpose and vision that needs to exist within that body. So the very fact that this is addressed makes it clear that there always have been and always will be differences within the church. There are 152 of you here this morning and there are 152 different people here with differences. There are at least five or six places in the New Testament where Paul brings up the subject of the different gifts that exist within the church and those gifts needing to work together. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the different members of the body working together. And you know that illustration of a body, all muscles, fingers, legs, hands, heart, everything working together to make one body and each part is needful. Romans 12 is a similar account. Paul reminds us each one has different gifts. And then Ephesians 4, Paul gives the reason for the variety of gifts. Ephesians 4, 12 and 13 says, for the perfecting, this is the reason for the different gifts. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the goal of the church. That's the purpose that we gather together like this. For the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. So if these different gifts and abilities that you all have work together for the good of the body, it's a good and it's a beautiful thing. But if not, there's a disconnect and some may have problems within the body. If you're having trouble feeling that unity or that connection with the church, you will be having a problem within the church. That unity or that connection can be lost. So maybe this morning, maybe you don't feel that connection or that unity within the church, that like-mindedness, that same love, that one-mindedness. If you don't feel that, this morning I'd like to suggest some possible reasons why. And then at the end of the message, I'd like to look at some ways to regain and then maintain that like-mindedness, that connection with the church. Ephesians 4 Verse 3 speaks about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, on the other hand, maybe you do feel that connection to the church and that oneness, that oneness of purpose and that, that unity. If you do, hopefully these suggestions that I'm giving this morning will be a guide for you in helping those who are struggling with feeling that connection and that unity with the church. I'd like to look at three mindsets that can lead to a disconnect within the body of Christ. This is not a conclusive list at all. But there are three mindsets that can lead to that disconnect. And then at the end, I'd like to look at some ways to regain and then maintain 
that connection to the church. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. The first possible mindset that could lead to that feeling of disconnect or not having that unity and that oneness of purpose is insignificance. Each one of each three of these mindsets start with the letter I. So insignificance is the first one. The feeling of being insignificant. Each person here, each part of the church, has a unique set of gifts designed to help the church. Some have out front gifts that everyone sees and frequently receive recognition. Sunday school teachers, song leaders, ushers. You are things we see. You are people we see and you do jobs that we see. Others have behind the scene gifts that go unnoticed and seemingly unappreciated. Trustees, the prayer warriors, Food committee, isn't it nice? We go back, the food's all ready to go. So there are gifts that everybody sees and they receive recognition because it's seen. There are gifts that people have that that aren't as visible and can easily go unnoticed and seem unappreciated. A third category are those who have gifts but for one reason or another do not use them, don't want to use them, all illustrations break down at some point, but Paul uses a very relevant illustration here in 1 Corinthians 12 to discuss the problem of insignificance. As a speaker, I don't like to read through a passage of more than about five verses because I know what it's like to sit through someone reading through more than about five verses and your mind starts to wander. But I'm going to ask you this morning to follow along with me. This is more than five verses. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 26. Follow along and think about the problem of feeling insignificant. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more these members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all of the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So 
So when we think of insignificance, feeling insignificant, I don't want to confuse this with humility. Humility is important. Feeling insignificant is not the same as humility. When I think of insignificance, I think of unimportant, not needed or overlooked. So you ask, what's, you may ask, what's the most important member of the body? Of your physical body, what's the most important member? And you may all come up with different parts. If I would have someone come up here and I would smash a finger with a hammer, and then I would ask you what's the most important part, you would say it's that finger. The part that's hurting is important. It doesn't matter what that part is. It's important. As I look at this passage in 1 Corinthians and consider the problem of insignificance, if you're not struggling with that, it may be a temptation to think, well, those people need to get over it. They're needed. We've told them that. They're needed. I wonder if the blame, the blame doesn't lie with them as much as the people that do feel needed. Sometimes it could lie with people that are appreciated and people that feel affirmed in what they're doing. The bottom line is that each part of the body is important. It serves a useful purpose, whether seen or unseen. So insignificance is a feeling that could lead to feeling that disconnect from the body of Christ. The second thing I'd like to look at is irrelevance. A feeling of irrelevance. This is closely related to insignificance, but I've defined irrelevance like this. Feeling a lack of purpose or direction the feeling that gifts or talents are overlooked or feeling like I have nothing to offer. That is how I'm defining irrelevance. And I wonder, this is my opinion, I think this problem could affect the youth and the elderly more than the middle-aged. And the reason I say that is The middle-aged can find a mask of that fulfillment in the busyness of raising a family or a career, and they can get the affirmation that they need from those sources. I feel like I stumbled through that. But if you think about it, if you think about irrelevance it means one of two things it means I'm irrelevant to the church and I have nothing to offer or it means the church is irrelevant to me and has nothing to offer me it needs to be one or the other of those are you irrelevant to the church and you have nothing to offer or is the church irrelevant to you and has nothing to offer you We know neither one of these is true. But insignificance and irrelevance 
are two things that feed on themselves. The reason I say that is the more you feel irrelevant or insignificant, you will feel a disconnect from the body. And the more of that disconnect you feel, the less you are going to feel like connecting. And so it feeds on itself and it, it will not get better on its own. It just, the problem gets worse and worse. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. To overcome this irrelevance, it boils down to a matter of perspective and I think starting at the very beginning and the very basics of who I am in Christ, who the church is and who I am in Christ is what we need to look at first. And this, this sounds basic and it could be a pat answer, but I think it's where you have to start in overcoming a feeling of uselessness or unneededness. Ephesians 2, I'm going to quickly skim through some of these verses. But verse 8, we are saved by grace through faith. Verse 10, God calls us His workmanship. Look up what that word means sometimes. We are His workmanship. Some versions say His masterpiece. That's what you are. Verse 13, our life is worth the blood of Jesus. Your life is worth the blood of Jesus. Verse 18, through Jesus we have free access to the throne of God. And verse 19 is maybe 19 through uh, 22 is possibly the most helpful in overcoming these irrelevant feelings. We are not meant to live the Christian life alone. No one is meant to live the Christian life alone. Verse 19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the, saint, with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Verse 21, I'm going to read that again. In whom all the building fitly framed together. Verse 19 says, You are fellow citizens. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. But on a personal level, your life is worth the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have value and the church needs you. The church needs your gifts. After we understand and accept that, we can realize the Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. We are a building fitly joined together. The third feeling or I don't know if it's a feeling, but a mindset. I think this one is more of a mindset that will lead, will lead, not can, but will lead to a feeling of disconnect and disunity from the body of Christ is that of independence. Insignificance, irrelevance, and independence. This one, I believe, is probably the most dangerous 
of these three. Independence is when my preferences supersede that of the church. What I want goes above and beyond, is more important than what the church has decided. And when I disagree with something the church has decided, my tendency is to not even consciously but separate myself from that and in explaining the position of the church, I'll say, well, the church decided such and such and such. Even in that wording, there's disconnect and separation because you are, you claim, you said you were part of that church. But when you start excusing things the church is doing and saying, well, the church, the church I attend, the church says this and this and this, you are that church. You are a part of that church. And when I disagree and set myself aside and say what I believe is more important, you wouldn't say that you're more enlightened, but that's the independence that leads to that disconnect. God intended, His intent was for a local body of believers We talk about the church, and the church is more than this group here. The church is bigger, but God intended for a local body of believers. Hebrews 10, God tells us that he intends for this group to meet together, this local body of believers to meet together, and to encourage and build each other up on a regular basis. It says there, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So independence, by definition, will lead to separation. Independence or depending on a local body or putting my own wishes underneath that of the wisdom of a local body is not popular thought today at all. Out of curiosity, as I was studying, I I googled this phrase, independence in the church, hoping to come up with some, some articles or some positions that would refer to denying self, putting myself under the authority of the church. I found one. The first many, many, many articles were about the, the privileges of independence and how we need to live the Christian life the way God intended it for you. And there is some truth to that. There, I'm not trying to say there's nothing there. But I was disappointed in the outcome. There's, there was very, very little talking about me bringing myself under the authority of the church. Repeatedly, through the Bible, we're told to surrender our wills, die to self. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record the account where Jesus said, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Paul said he dies daily. Romans and Ephesians remind us we are members one of another. There's nothing even remotely connected to, the, to independence when it says we are members one of another. Needing each other, needing the input of other people in our life.
So these three things will lead to that feeling of being detached or a lack of closeness to the church, insignificance, irrelevance, and independence. Now I'd like to look at three things that will help us to regain or help you to maintain that connection and that unity that God intends for this body that is fitly framed together. And number one, again, bear with me, this seems very basic, um, and it is, but I think it's the most important, and that is a vibrant relationship with God. This could very easily be overlooked or taken for granted, but it's foundational to any part of spiritual growth. If you are struggling in any area of your spiritual life, how is your walk with God? How is your daily devotional life? How close are you feeling to God? Andrew Murray said, The Christian who is still carnal has neither desire nor strength to follow after God. He rests satisfied with the prayer of habit and custom. So, vibrant relationship with God. When we were just on our trip here to Israel and Egypt, I was impressed with the Orthodox Jews and the Muslims. On our flight over to Israel, there were probably 30 very, very, very Orthodox Jews. One of the people we were traveling with said, they are the Amish of the Jews. They are the ones they wear, uh, or they've got these curly sideburns and that hang way down, and they have fringes off the bottom of their coat, and they, they, are, they are the Jews of the Jews. And there were probably 30 men. There were families, but probably, probably 15 families flew with us from North America over to Israel. And there were probably 30 men. Um, And they rearranged the seating in their section of the plane so that they could all sit together. There were the section, the middle section of the plane had, I don't remember if it was three or five seats, but there was about five rows of them sitting in a row. And they, from time to time, I don't know how they knew when, but they would do their prayer chants. They would open their books and somebody would would chant part of a prayer and they would repeat it back and forth for 20 minutes probably. They had the phylacteries strapped to their forehead with a, a uh, strap coming down their arm all the way around their arm to their finger. And some would get up and stand in the corner of the plane and rock back and forth and chant and do their prayers. And it was impressive. Over in in Israel then, there was the Muslim call, call to prayer. I'm not sure how many times a day, but they would blare this over the loudspeakers. They had their minarets, I don't know, five of them in a city, and they would blare this call to prayer over like a long kind of a, a moaning song kind of over the loudspeakers several times a day. In all the motel rooms we were in, there was an arrow uh, taped or painted or something on the dresser or the nightstand pointing the correct 
for these uh, Muslims to know which way to point, to face, to pray. We walked into a shop one time to just look around and uh, one of us maybe was going to buy something, I'm not sure. And there was no shopkeeper in there. And so we were looking and there he, he was kneeling in the middle of the aisle, in the middle of the day, praying the right direction, I assume. And not just a few of them, but many, many, many of these people were doing this. I'm not saying they had a vibrant relationship with their religion, but they were dedicated and they were devoted. They were very devoted. The Christians were much more difficult to pick out. And I wondered why. These Orthodox Jews, they stood out, they were devoted and committed to what they were doing. The Muslims stood out, they were devoted and committed to what they were doing. Even in all the airports, there was a prayer room for them. Why were the Christians difficult to pick out? This is my conclusion. The, the Jews and the Muslims, and I'm not just picking them out, there's others in this category too, but their religion is based on fear and works. If you do this, you will get this. And Christians, our faith is based on love and grace. We as Christians, we preach the freedom that is found in the love of and grace of Christ rather than the fear and works of other religions. Are you following me? We preach the freedom. We don't have to, if you do this and this and this, you will get this. We don't preach that way because we believe in the love and the grace of God. And that's good. That's fine. But the problem is this can lead to permissiveness. If we live... This way, without having a vibrant walk with God, we will live a permissive Christian life. And what I mean by that is we'll allow more and more and more things in our life. We will become less and less conformed to Jesus and more and more conformed to the world around us because God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of grace. He's a God of love. He understands and he wants me to be happy. A close walk with God is the most important part of building dependency on each other and the unity and the purpose of the church. A close and a vibrant walk with God has to come first. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16. The second part that can help us overcome these feelings of insignificance or irrelevance or independence, the second thing I'd like to look at is Have a willingness to serve. Part of building the church is is willing and wholehearted service. And this is something that I have struggled with. And maybe some of you have too. Willing and wholehearted service. If you are an employee 
of a company and you were given a new responsibility, you would probably be glad for that. You would look at it as maybe a promotion or it would be a good thing. Why is it different in the church? When we're given a position, and again, I guess this is confession time for me, I have not always looked at it as a good thing, something that I, I was glad for. What's the difference? Several years ago, this is confession time for me, it used to, it used to really bug me when I would hear people... I guess complained about a position they were given a two or three year term that they have maybe, I don't know, trustee, oh, I've got two years and then I'm done. And that used to bother me because I was more than willing to trade. <laughs> but the more I thought about that, even think my attitude was no different than theirs. That is not willing, wholehearted service when I think that way. Thankfully, I, I think I'm over that. 1 Corinthians 16, begin reading at verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. They have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. I'll stop reading there. It is inspiring to me to see somebody who is pouring themselves wholeheartedly into a responsibility, no matter what it is, but especially in the church. Someone who is pouring themselves into that. And it's exciting that I can be part of a church where I could, I could take names out here and put it in, in this passage. People who do what needs to be done, willingly do what needs to be done and do well at it. I'm glad I can look out across and I, I, see, I see you and what you have done. Many of you have addicted yourself to the ministry of the saints. He's saying there were things that were lacking that I needed and this Stephanus, he, he filled that right, he, he just filled the need. And many of you do that and I commend you for that. So a willingness to serve will bridge the gap between that disconnect and bring that unity and the closeness of the body. The third and the last one I'd like to look at is found in Ephesians 4. Turn with me back to Ephesians 4. The third thing that is helpful in regaining and maintaining that unity and purpose is to have a sense of responsibility to the rest of the brotherhood. To have a sense of responsibility. 
Ephesians 4, first three verses, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This, to me, in a nutshell, is what we are responsible to as members of the church. As a member, I have committed myself to certain things. When I became a member here, I was asked this question. Will you use your influence to build the spiritual life of this congregation, supporting and maintaining her doctrines and standard of practice? And I answered, I will. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. With all lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, and then walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. So a few practical ways we are responsible are we're responsible to participate. We're responsible to encourage. We're responsible to entreat. We are responsible to hold others accountable and to allow others to hold us accountable. We're responsible to be approachable. We're responsible to uphold. Romans 12, verse 5, and Ephesians 4, 25, both use the phrase, for we are members one of another. In other words, in a sense, we are responsible as a church, as a body, a building fitly framed together, we are responsible for one another, to rely on one another. So my encouragement to you this morning, or my challenge to you, is if you find yourself struggling to find that purpose or that unity or that connection to the church, don't give up. There is a way back to that connection. Pursue a vibrant walk with God. Serve willingly and wholeheartedly. Consider your responsibility to the rest of the church. If you don't feel that disconnect this morning, be alert to those who do. Be patient. Lift them up. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your church. We thank you for this local body of believers here. We thank you for each one who is here, whether they are part of this church, a member of this church or not. I pray that you will bless them and their church where they are. I pray that you will be with those who are maybe feeling discouraged or having trouble feeling that unity and that oneness with the rest of the body. I pray that you will comfort and lift them up Thank you again for this church. I pray that you will help us as we continue to have a singleness of vision and purpose. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.